Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is David Tuyo, Chief Financial and Operations Officer of Power Financial Credit Union, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is Episode 247. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak with Pete Childs, CFO of Workfront, a cloud-based enterprise work management solution. Listen to our complete interview with Pete after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. We're speaking with Pete Child, CFO of Workfront, a cloud-based enterprise work management solution. Pete, welcome. Well, thanks, Jack. Good to be here with you. Well, it's great to have you with us. And as we always do, we'd like to begin uh, by asking you about those career experiences that help prepare you for a CFO role. What would those have been? Glad to do that, um, and I think you turned it right. It's, it's a number of experiences as opposed to just a couple of you know, milestones in time. Um, for me, I always had the idea I wanted to be a CFO of a company, and so I started out with, like many others, started out with a big four accounting role, big eight at the time, uh, and I thought that was helpful just because it gives you a view into the finance organization and processes at many different types of companies. just helps you get a broader picture of the finance world. And as I thought about being a CFO, I, I recognized that I need experience in the primary functions that reside in the finance function itself. So I moved away from public accounting, went into a treasury role, and ultimately became the treasurer of a multi-billion dollar company. And as a result, got to work on what I would quote, you know, in finger quote, high finance, working with investment portfolios and credit facilities and bonds and rating agencies. Uh, a lot of transactional type of work that was just a lot of fun to, to, to deal with. Uh, ultimately, I realized that 
you know, in order to be read out, they need to get back into accounting. So I went back to another multi-billion dollar company, became a principal accounting officer, got me back into the complex accounting and all of issues, controls, servings, actually systems, all those things that are on the foremost of, of you know, the, the chief accountant's mind. Right on top of that, in a couple of different organizations, uh, experience with mergers and acquisitions, and I really enjoyed those because what they make you do, and on first as you're looking at a company and you analyze the strategic fit, it helps you understand your own company better. And then you go through the process of integration, and uh, then you're peeling apart, you know, the, the way two different companies work, and you look for the best of both worlds and, and try to improve your processes as you integrate companies and, and do all that through systems. Um, along the way, I also had a, a number of experiences with Wall Street, with the investment community, that likewise put you in a situation to help you understand how they look at your business, which makes you assess, you know, should you be doing something differently? And are we looking at it the same way that, uh, that Wall Street looks at your business? It helps you just refine you know, how you're assessing how you're doing. And all this together, um, you know, I would just say kind of a capstone, it's, it's a, you look back across your experience over time, and you realize that all these experiences and some of the tough calls that I do make over time, really just, it, it resolves you, uh, it, it, it strengthens your steel and gives you the right resolve to make the right call at the right time, because there will be times when you're under pressure and difficult circumstances and all those experiences just lead you to that crucial moment where you make the right call. When you arrive at Workfront, what is the type of job that you wanted to create for yourself? You've had all this experience all along the way. You were already a CFO at the, the company prior to that. Uh, it's called Savant. Is that correct? That is correct. So, and at that company, you actually completed a fairly sizable IPO along the way there. Um, so you have all this experience going back in time, and you land at Workfront. What, what's, what's next? What is it that you... Uh, Wanted to sink your teeth into here. Well, first and foremost, you know, I, I look at the environment that I'm stepping into, and obviously with the experience that I've had in the past, I, I come up with a checklist. <laughs> Here are the things that I'm looking for, and one of the most important things is to have, you know, the right environment. And for me, that, that is one where the team feels confident that they're empowered to manage their own role of responsibility, everyone is respected for their contribution. And in my mind, once you've established that, uh, it's easier to make change happen for the better, and then when the crunch times come, and they always inevitably come, uh, the people are there, they're loyal to, to the team, to each other, to the, to the company, and things just work a lot smoother. So for me, first and, and most important is to have the right environment in place. So me coming in, given my experience, I'm looking to lead the company in the process of, of really taking the company to the next level. Uh, there's naturally a maturing process that comes with any smaller company that's private, ultimately looking towards some kind of a transaction, be that an IPO or being part of a sale, um, or really just scaling for the future if, they, if we decide we need to take it up a notch. Um, so from a more macro perspective, my desire is supposed to be involved in, in driving the direction of the company. Where do we want to be in five years and how do we get there? which is more of a higher-level strategic role. But for me, the, the blocking and tackling is the most important, just establishing the environment and preparing the company for the next step. Now, did you, did you reorganize finance when you arrived? Is there anything that you, you changed uh, fundamentally? 
So when I walked into Workfront, uh, I, mean, again, I, I go back to my checklist, and I was looking for a, a finance group and a company that was in very good shape. And a lot of this comes down to the former CFO and, and their view of, of how the department should be run, the amount of investment that was afforded, the degree of forward planning. So when I stepped in, quite frankly, uh, the team was in very good shape. There was a small handful of changes that I needed to make that was hiring a couple of new positions and in some cases a couple of situations replacing a position where I needed you know, the right tool set in place. Um, what I did find is that the team really needed just increased opportunity in some respects to exposure to upper level management that they weren't receiving before. Again, this gets back to empowering them. I've got subject matter experts that's open, get out and talk to people. And, uh, and that way we'll just be able to, we're able to do a lot more and, and I don't become a bottleneck to get things done. And some of that, you know, examples around that, as I looked at the company, would be, let's look at timelines. How quickly are we doing things? Um, how many errors are coming out of the processes, be that the accounting process or FP&A? Uh, do we have the right reporting in place? Essentially, I'm, I come in looking to instill a public company mentality. Uh, accuracy matters. Timing matters, quarters matters, there should be no surprises. Um, so all in all, it was good walking the work front. I will say, though, in uh, my previous experience, I walked into a situation where uh, wholesale changes were required. People, process, systems, all needed to be upgraded or in or replaced. And obviously, when you walk into a situation like that, it's, it's much more demanding. Yeah, I'd love to know what's on that checklist. What, what would you tell us? Well, that's a, that's a great question because it's, it's a checklist. The checklist gets developed over time, at least mine has, because you, know, you just learn over through your experiences what, what works, what doesn't, what experiences you're looking for, what you're, what you're looking to avoid. So for me, um, you know, number one in my checklist was the culture of the company. Uh, sometimes it can be very difficult, and sometimes it can be very open, so I can work fine. Uh, had the culture I was looking for, you know, you spend more time with the people you work with than you spend with your family. So you want to make sure, I mean, this is cliche, but so you, want to, you want to make how sure. How did you know? Sorry, I'm speaking on top of you, but no, I just right. what so many people step into a company, and, you know, culture isn't immediately revealed. It's something you uh, experience as you work alongside people, perhaps. So as you, as, a, as an outsider, coming to get a sense of it, um, you might know what is some of the telltale signs of a of a you know that it was a positive culture for you. Well, for me, it's I mean you're going to have of course your several rounds of interviews, and the more people you speak to, the better. Um, and and so you're actually going to get a sense as you talk to people one, two, or maybe three times. You know what's their personality like? A lot of it really comes down to personality. Do they like to joke around? Uh, do they know their stuff? Um, or are they kind of stiff and serious about everything? It's not what I would be looking for, but that does work for other people. Um, one of the other things that I do is, and I've learned this over time through experience, is you do the background checks. You know, you always know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, and um, and you can ask about the people you're going to be working for and find out from you know, friends or distant friends what are these people like, what do they like to work with, um, and, and there's always some element of you take a gamble, but one of the things I like about work fund is, you know, and, and we're, 
you, you look at the, the list of rules that they have, it, it gets posted in the lunchroom. One of the rules that they lived by was it, it was a no jerks policy. And I know from experience that, you know, that certain people have been met there at different points in time because they didn't work together with, well with other people. So it's, a, it's the accumulation of all those different facts. Like I said, there's always some kind of a leap of faith, but, um, you know, the, the more bad channel information you can get, the more confirmation you're going to have that what you're feeling in the interview process is correct. So as I, as I look at the other items on the list uh, beyond culture, then as the finance guy, I'm walking in saying, okay, I don't really, I don't really care to be implementing a worldwide system again. Um, you know, are the systems in place? What shape are they in? Are they being deployed? Or have they been deployed and are being used appropriately? Are there controls in place, like you know, basic reconciliations? Has Sarlene's actually been layered in already in the process of, of doing that? Um, and then I'm looking for the company itself. Uh, certainly, one member of a company I want to come to a company that I do not believe in. So, what is the product? What's the opportunity in the uh, uh, walking behind that product? And is it something I can believe in and believe that the addressable market is what it is? So that's, that's primarily what I was what I was looking for when I came here. Let, let's ask you a little bit about the opportunity that Workfront is is pursuing today. It's it's uh, how competitive a landscape is it out there for this company's offerings, and what is Workfront's competitive edge? Primary competition for Workfront these days is is just battling the old fashioned way of doing things. Primary competition. So you know you have people doing their work with. I mean, you look at people's desks, yellow stickies, Excel, Word, PDF. You know, it's offline through Outlook, some kind of an email, there's text, there's other point solutions. And people have clued these together over time to create a process. Um, Workfront, of course, is in the, is in the business of, of streamlining and pulling together all these disparate solutions and being the hub that pulls all this information together. And, um, and and helps the knowledge worker be more productive. There are organized competitors in their space, but generally what they do is they focus on one aspect of of the work experience for the worker, whereas Workfront pulls it all together. So I would say, from a competitive edge perspective, it's that we have a solution that focuses on the entire um, work process for a worker as opposed to a piece of it. So every time we ask, uh, what, what are the metrics that are important to you to a, to a CFO in a cloud organization, uh, we, of course, quickly hear renewable revenues. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you before, what else would you share with us? What are those metrics that you look at? And, and I guess the, the, the customer focus is, is for sure a big part of, of uh, your finance function, I imagine. Oh, absolutely, and in, in, in the economy, with a SaaS-based company, renewals are your lifeblood. Um, one other lifeblood that uh, you heard this before, but cash is king. It all comes back to cash. A lot of SaaS-based companies these days are burning a lot of cash, and so there's a lot of focus on what is the cash burn, uh, what's your key, key free cash flow, what's the cash burn, or cash generation as the case may be. Uh, I also look at growth. In bookings, AI, revenue. Uh, if you look at Rastro, they're valuing our company and our SaaS companies based on growth and revenues primarily, and then to a lesser degree, cash profitability, I'll call it. So, beyond those, those two, which Rastro is looking at all the time, 
I'm looking at the cost side of the equation, the customer acquisition cost and, and payback period. How long does it take to recover the dollar we spent? I'm looking at the customer lifetime value. Um, how long do we run a client? And what's the total amount that we expect to generate in revenues and bookings from that client versus the amount we spent to, to acquire them? So there's a ratio of the customer lifetime value uh, versus the cap payback period that I also look at. And then as you noted up front, renewals and churn rates, uh, making sure that we're doing what we can uh, to make sure that we keep those renewals as high as possible. So from a customer success standpoint and, and looking at that renewal uh, portion of the equation here, we primarily look at renewal rates um, and then those customers pay our salaries and so the, the longer we keep them around and, and using our, our system, the better off we're going to be. We're also, um, as part of looking at renewal rates, one thing we did do is put in place a, a client relationship function a number of years ago. Again, this is part of the natural evolution of the company. And once we put in that, what we call the hunter farmer approach, where the, the farmers are our client relationship managers and they're really holding the customer's hand through the process to make sure that they're uh, getting the usage of the system that has been deployed appropriately, that they're using the system as much as they should. You know, we look at usage as another one of the metrics that gives us a good indication of whether somebody will win or not. Uh, outside of that, there's the net promoter score that uh, you know, many companies are using. So those are kind of the, some of the metrics that we use from a client-specific focus. Can you share a story of a time in your finance career when you had a sort of a finance strategic moment, a moment of strategic insight that later uh, empowered you as a finance leader to drive change or look at an opportunity perhaps differently, whatever it might have been. So, so for me, actually, I would go back to, you know, in the, in the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month process of, of watching the company's numbers, you need to be doing so in conjunction with what the market is doing and how investors are looking at your company. So I guess the example I would give, and I'm, I'm coming at this from the perspective of working in a SaaS environment, where companies are primarily valued on two things, revenue growth and profitability, as I mentioned before. Revenue growth is always been, it's, it's always out there. It's, it's constantly figuring the valuation. But on the other hand, if you look at cash profitability, that's a part of the equation that's been somewhat variable in its influence on the valuation applied to a company. And there have been times when the market ignores, you know, if you're burning cash, it doesn't matter. The valuation still going to be based on revenue growth. There have been times when the market puts a much more a much larger value on companies than they have at least flat or even positive cash flow. So when I've seen the markets swing, and uh, typically in the SaaS environment, it's happened pretty rapidly, uh, valuation of your company, you know, it's between hundreds of millions of dollars could be affected if you don't really have to, or if you don't prepare for it properly. So you're walking here in the work front, recognizing that this, this shift could happen I sat in my office and I looked out and I saw the food trucks rolling in all day long. I sat on the company where people were traveling all the time and, you know, as opposed to two people going to visit a client, six would go. Uh, you know, so it, it became very easy. I wouldn't say there was a point in time, but it was like, hey, there's, there's something that's not right here. We're burning cash. We're spending it like, uh, you know, irresponsibly in some cases. The, the, the cost consciousness is not here. So for me, it was... 
the recognition that we need to do something to put the, you know, the, the good, healthy discipline in place to maintain a positive cash flow, or at least be cash break even. So for me, that meant, you know, right away we, we started making changes. And uh, we weren't going to do anything that was going to result in shooting ourselves in the foot. We wanted to do what was right for the business, but we reopened our budgets and started looking for places to trim. Let's, let's see what we really need to spend versus not. Where if the headcount, which is 65% of our expenses, uh, we've had rapid growth in heads over a number of years. And so it was time to take a pause and digest the, the hiring that we had done. You know, not the efficiencies that are introduced uh, with fast growth over time. We need all additional spend from the ground up. We question everything. Um, like I said, we didn't want to be penalized in town first, but we, we did want to do what's right for the company, but we didn't want to spend what we didn't need to spend. So the result was uh, in a rather quick period of time, we went from burning well, probably another 20% cash margin to being positive cash over the last couple of quarters. And the reward really comes as you speak to investors and you tell them the journey that we've taken over the past nine months going from such a negative cash margin to now positive, slightly positive. Um, so it's been very gratifying. It was uh, you know, one of the things that comes as a result of, of seeing the markets over time. Somehow, I guess on the negative side, I developed the, the nickname, the Grim Reaper. Not quite sure how that happened, but uh, maybe that, just, that comes with the territory. <laughs> Professional hazard. Professional hazard. Yes, <laughs> now, it's funny because you, you brought up the workforce, and uh, we're speaking to CFOs increasingly about about the headcount and their uh, their cultures and the role that uh, finance is playing uh, to address some of the people challenges their companies face today. Um, can you perhaps, uh, when it comes to uh, workfronts, workforce, and it's people challenges, and talent's always always challenging. Um, could you share what you're paying attention to, what you're looking at to measure uh, the effectiveness of the workforce? Well, we're always looking at benchmarking. Um, not that every company is made equal, but when we're looking at your peer group and what are other companies doing is, you know, uh, uh, you know, in terms of cost per a certain type of a head or ratios of of heads to sales. Those are the measures that we look at quite often as we're doing it right now as we speak as we prepare for our 2017 budgets. You look at ratios between departments. As we look at, as we look at our marketing group, uh, the number of people, heads that we have in marketing that are focused on, on, on marketing programs compared to our number of quarter burning sales reps. I mean, that's, that's a ratio that we look at, and if we're getting out of line in one versus the other, we'll maybe need to cut back somewhere or, or increase somewhere else. Um, but this is, it's a constant process that we're going through. It, it never stops and never rests. We now come to the mentoring round where we like to ask you several quick questions uh, designed to inspire and offer advice to aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? I think what I, what I really love about finance, and it seems to be growing over time, is just finance is at the heart of everything in a company. Uh, everything that is done in the company has a number attached to it. And as a result, uh, you'll see the finance organization involved in everything. And that's every department out there, uh, they, need to, they need to be having conversations with finance, and that comes from budgeting, from accounting, 
uh, from FDA, DAX, you name it, we're involved. So it just it gives you a broad view of the entire organization, and as a result, you get to know more of what's going on, which I enjoy. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? Yeah, I guess this really comes back to checklists. <laughs> as I mentioned, I learned, you know, kind of a hard way that there are certain things you want to watch out for when you're starting with a company. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's a basic thing, but for me, I just didn't think about it enough. It's just do your due diligence and understand, get a broader perspective of the company that you're going into, what challenges it's facing, what opportunities it has, so that you can be sure that it's a good match for you. So a personal habit uh, you believe has contributed to your professional success? Uh, I like to think that, um, and I've learned this earlier also, if you're creating that environment, you've, you're working with a team, you're treating them as, as equals, as real people, uh, with integrity, and you're respecting them, then you're going to get that in return. And I think that just creates a well-functioning, well-oiled, uh, group that, that, again, as I said before, is going to step up and do what needs to be done when times get tough. Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay. All right, we come to our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? My priorities over the next 12 months, and this is very specific to uh, the stage of growth that we're in, um, we are preparing ourselves for hopefully some kind of a large uh, public event. Uh, without being too specific, maybe it was. Um, but for us, it's, it's just, the board has tasked me, as, as with many, many CFOs out there, to be ready for whatever event might come along. So if we decide that we want to go public at some point in time, we've got to be ready. And I don't start getting ready when they say go. So for us, it's putting in survey and doxley. It's making sure that we have our forecasting tight and realistic, making sure that our systems are working appropriately, that uh, that the reporting is in place to support any discussions that we would have with analysts and investors, that the sales strategy that we have in place is uh, that we have solid confidence around it, confidence that it's going to produce the results that we're forecasting. Um, And this is one of the the things that I see over many companies, it's taking that company from a private mentality and way of being to a public way of being. It just it takes time, and it's a culture change. But uh, people are willing to do it, but you have to develop that muscle memory to make it in the end and to make it happen correctly and at the right time. 
Hey, Charles, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Jack, thank you very much. Enjoy this time. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends... We just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening.